This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 84. I'm the host, Jim Garrity. Today's topic, does the rule of sequestration apply to depositions? In other words, can a litigator demand that people other than the deponent, and of course the lawyers involved in the deposition, be excluded from the deposition room, usually other parties or witnesses? The answer in the federal system and in most state courts is crystal clear. No, the rule of sequestration does not apply to depositions. It's actually one of the most common questions that I get. But a lawyer cannot, without your consent or a court order, invoke the rule, as we say, in a deposition. Now, I've touched on this in other episodes, but I haven't really focused on it as the topic of a specific podcast. But because so many litigators mistakenly believe that the so-called rule can be invoked in a deposition, it's worth talking about. Courts have said over and over again that the sequestration rule does not apply. And the commentary to Federal Rule 30, the main rule uh, of procedure on depositions, explicitly notes that Rule 30 was amended in 1993 to erase any doubt whether that sequestration rule applies in a deposition setting. In fact, in the Panama City Beach case, in the show notes, A lawyer was sanctioned by a federal judge for halting a deposition and contacting the court to make that exact argument that the rule of sequestration applied to depositions. Federal judge in that case said that argument is not only wrong, it's frivolous. All right, so let's jump right in. The actual rule of sequestration is found in Federal Rule of Evidence 615, and it says in key part, at a party's request, the court must order witnesses excluded so that they cannot hear other witnesses' testimony. Now, there's a little more text to the rule, but that's the key concept. And the rule itself makes it clear that even in a courtroom, the rule's application isn't automatic. So the rule begins at a party's request. In other words, one of the parties has to ask the court to direct other witnesses to leave the courtroom. Now, the court obviously can invoke the rule on its own accord, but generally a party has to ask. In most of my civil trials, judges have not, on their own, invoked the rule. So if you forget, and it happens, you may just have a few witnesses sitting in the back of the courtroom absorbing every bit of your most excellent opening and witness examinations until you finally look back and realize you have an unintended audience. Now, is this purely a federal court notion? Well, no, the rule applies very nearly across the board, certainly in every state court jurisdiction that we looked at in preparing for this episode. Our researchers did a random review of the rules in about 30 states, and every one of them that they looked at had either an identical version of the federal rule on sequestration or something very, very close. And typically, the state court rules also bore the same rule number as the federal rule, that's 615, or some close variation like 5.615. So the underlying concept of excluding witnesses from a courtroom during testimony is nearly universal in both state and federal court. Similarly, it appears nearly universal, and I say nearly because we didn't check all 50 states, but the 30 or so states we did check were all consistent. So I say it's nearly universal in both state and federal court that the rule of sequestration applicable to a courtroom does not have automatic application 
to depositions. Just to give you a taste of this, the Colorado Supreme Court in a case we found sitting on banc, meaning that all of the judges on that state Supreme Court participated in this decision, said that like the federal rule, Colorado's rule of sequestration did not apply to depositions. And the court added that if a litigant did feel like protection was needed pertinent to the exclusion of individuals from a deposition, they could and should seek a protective order. Colorado at the time, like the federal rules and the rules of most states, had a general rule on discovery that allowed for parties to seek protective orders in order to avoid annoyance, oppression, undue burdens, and so on. So the Supreme Court in Colorado pretty solidly rejected the idea that the rule of sequestration applied to depositions. And again, that's consistent with the interpretation in all of the states we looked at. It just doesn't apply, at least automatically. And that's the Heyman Contractors case in the show notes. So that's your answer. Now let's do some quick hypothetical Q&A to provide some additional practice guidance before we wrap up. All right. Question number one, I'm in a deposition and the opposing lawyer is demanding that one of my clients who's not being deposed that day leave the room. What's my basic toolkit here to oppose that? Well, first, if you're in federal court, it's Rule 30C1. Quote, the examination and cross-examination of a deponent proceed as they would at trial under the federal rules of evidence, except Rules 103 and 615. Close quote. Rule 103 is the rule that says a judge should rule on objections as they're made. That obviously doesn't apply to depositions. Rule 615 is the rule of sequestration. So the main deposition rule specifically says the rule of sequestration does not apply to depositions. That's point one in your toolkit. Point two, look at the committee notes to Rule 30, specifically uh, the notes to the 1993 amendment which explains very clearly that this language was added to make it clear that the rule of sequestration does not apply in a deposition setting. Third, if you need a case, point to the Panama City Beach case in our show notes for this episode, where a federal judge actually imposed a fine against a lawyer simply for making the argument to the court that Rule 615 applies to depositions. Fourth, you could point to the prior version of Rule 30, which said only the following, quote, Examination and cross-examination of witnesses may proceed as permitted at the trial under the provisions of the Federal Rules of Evidence, close quote. So it's very clear what the change was and why the change was made. And of course, if needed, you could also add to your opposing counsel and every other case in the last 28 years since the rule was amended that has addressed this issue. All right, what to do if you're in state court? Well, again, you're going to start with Federal Rule of Evidence 615 and your own state's rule of sequestration to show that it's worded identically or nearly identically to the federal rule. You're going to show uh, the absence of language about the rule of sequestration in your deposition rule. And you're going to point to cases saying that your state's rules are interpreted consistent with the federal rules. And in most states, there are going to be multiple uh, prior court rulings that specifically say the rule of sequestration does not apply to depositions. Next question. Does it matter whether the person that my adversary is seeking to exclude is a party, a witness, or a totally disinterested person? Again, the answer is no. The rule does not apply to depositions, period. So the particular status of the witness pertinent to the case doesn't matter. 
In the Smith versus Southern Baptist case, a state appeals court decision, uh, the court said that the trial judge there properly denied a motion for protective order that sought to exclude a physician who wanted to sit in on depositions relating to a patient he had seen that had filed a malpractice case. Now, in that particular lawsuit, the physician that was sitting in on the deposition wasn't a named defendant. So he really was just observing. It's not clear from the decision why he was sitting in. Maybe he was concerned that the named defendants would point the finger at him. Maybe he was concerned that he would soon be a defendant. But the court said it's okay for him to be there. In the Roca case, R-O-C-H-A, in the show notes, a lawsuit against three police officers. The plaintiffs argued that the officers might conform their testimony to each other if they all sat in on each other's deposition. The court said that sort of generic fear just isn't enough to exclude people. All right, next question. What if opposing lawyers say exactly that, that they want the people excluded because they're all upcoming witnesses or they're co-plaintiffs or co-defendants, whatever, and they might coordinate their testimony if they all know what each other has said? Again, that's a very common basis for arguments made by a lawyer who wants to exclude people. But if that's all it took, as you can imagine, the rule of sequestration would apply to every deposition. So a generalized suspicion of possible collaboration just doesn't cut it. Next question. So what kind of showing would my adversary need to make to convince a court that people ought to be excluded from the deposition? That the rule of sequestration ought to be invoked uh, in a particular deposition in a case. Well, if you're in federal court, the party moving to exclude would need to make a showing of good cause uh, for doing so. That's in Rule 26C, which is the federal court rule on general discovery matters, and more specifically, Rule 26C1E says that for good cause shown, a court may enter an order, quote, designating the persons who may be present while the discovery is conducted, close quote. Uh, the judge in that Roca case that I mentioned uh, said this section ought to be invoked sparingly and that the movement seeking to exclude people from the deposition room should be required to show specific concrete injuries, a particular need for protection. And the question ultimately will be whether the movement has set forth particular and specific demonstrations of fact as opposed to uh, stereotyped and conclusory arguments about what could happen if others are present during the deposition. Now, that should inform your view about what might happen if you are in state court, because most state courts, again, have a similar general discovery rule uh, that allows your court to enter an order for good cause shown on most any discovery matter. All right. Next question. What if the lawyer says, if you don't ask them to leave, I'm going to call the judge? Well, as you know from my prior episodes, I don't make strategic or tactical decisions based on whether an adversary is threatening to call a judge. I'm certain that you don't either. On the other hand, I don't antagonize or purposely bait lawyers into calling judges either. So if this is what you're confronted with, it's not unreasonable for you to ask for a short moment, a short break to confer with your client and to make a decision that you're comfortable with. Fundamentally, the question is simply going to be whether you feel like you're on solid ground in terms of the arguments you're going to be making to the court. And that's where you have to ask yourself, is there something about the presence of the people in question that is apt to be disruptive? 
Is there any prior evidence of collusion or dishonesty associated with the people present, including with parties or witnesses? But courts have generally said the rule doesn't apply to depositions, and absent some specific concrete reason otherwise, judges are just not going to exclude people from the deposition room. So if your opposing number makes that demand, follow my general rule first by insisting that all discussions about it be on the record, nothing off the record, and ask the lawyer to articulate each and every reason for their demand before the judge gets involved. Next question. Has my adversary waived an argument against exclusion by failing to seek a protective order ahead of time? Well, maybe there's been a technical waiver under the federal rules or under your local state court rules, but my experience is that if there are in fact legitimate serious grounds for excluding witnesses, a judge will likely listen to that argument even if the call is coming just before the start of the deposition. Another question, what if the deposition is a perpetuation deposition, a so-called uh, Debeni S deposition, one where the deposition is going to be played at trial in lieu of live testimony, such that this may be a deposition that really is their trial testimony. Would Rule 615 kick in then? No, for several reasons. The rule just doesn't apply to depositions, period. Plus, the federal rules, at least, don't recognize any difference between discovery depositions and trial depositions. Now, I suppose, on the other hand, if everyone understands that the deposition about to occur will, in fact, be played at trial in lieu of trial testimony, then at least the examining lawyer probably has a better argument for calling the judge and getting the judge to issue an order excluding others on the spot. All right, let's take it from the other side. What if you're the one who wants to exclude witnesses? What's your toolkit for getting witnesses excluded? Whether in state or federal court, it's going to be the rule of civil procedure that provides for discovery-related protective orders for good cause shown. Now, what's the procedure to follow? Well, I think the best approach is to think about this as far in advance as possible. Ask yourself, is there something about the expected depositions in my case that would make the presence of others a serious problem? Will trade secrets be disclosed? Have there been threats of violence by someone against the deponent? Is the harasser in a sexual harassment case likely to be the company representative when the victim is testifying? Are there embarrassing facts? Is there something about the testimony that might draw harmful press coverage if others are present to hear what's being said? Is there something especially traumatic likely to be revealed? Are there deeply personal facts involved? Is the witness vulnerable, an abuse victim, a child, someone in that category? Or has there been prior evidence of collusion or dishonesty between your adversary and the witness or other witnesses. The sooner you give thought to this kind of thing ahead of the depositions, the better. Then ask your opposing lawyers, if appropriate, to represent that no one other than counsel and possibly a party representative will be present. And if you can't get agreement, then go ahead and seek a protective order before the deposition starts. Next question, well, what do you want the protective order to say? Well. Obviously, it should designate by name or position those who are permitted to attend the depositions. Anything else? Yes. If your concern is that others may coordinate their testimony with the deponent, you want to make sure that the protective order has additional provisions. For example, you want to make sure that it has language forbidding the lawyers 
and the deponent from discussing his or her testimony with any other person other than their counsel. And you also want to make sure that the protective order forbids distribution of the transcript to anyone other than the parties and their counsel. All right, so that's a pretty good overview, but let me add a couple of other thoughts and then we can wrap up. First, if you think this is actually going to be a problem and you are in federal court, consider including language in your report of parties planning meeting asking the court to invoke the rule of sequestration for all depositions, not just designating who can attend, but also those other provisions, forbidding distribution of the transcripts and forbidding deponents and their counsel from discussing the testimony with any other witnesses. If you're in state court, seek that protective order early in the litigation, well ahead of any depositions. There's really no reason not to do it well ahead of time if you've got legitimate grounds for doing so. And here's another tip. I've mentioned in prior episodes that in an era of remote video depositions, we really don't know with any certainty who is in and around the deponent, but off screen. So it's not unreasonable to seek a protective order in advance of any depositions, barring remote deponents from testifying in a room where anyone else is present. You can still ask at the outset of depositions, remote depositions, who else is in the room or in the house or office with the deponent. But having that court order, a protective order in place that you can discuss with the deponent, provides some additional teeth to your efforts to ensure that others are not influencing or hearing the testimony. Okay, that's it for today. The rule of sequestration just does not apply to depositions. Thank you as always for listening. Be sure to check out the book on which this podcast is based, 10,000 Depositions Later, the premier litigation guide for superior deposition practice. And at 450 pages, it's just an outstanding field guide for daily use and reference. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.